Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Curzon Film Podcast. This week we will be discussing writer-director Andrew Haig's Lean on Pete, as well as hearing from the film's lead, Charlie Plummer, who plays Charlie, a teen living with his single father who finds work caring for an ageing racehorse named Lean on Pete. I'm Sam Howlett, and this week I'm joined by a man who may have written for Little White Lies and runs his own blog, but get off your high horse and join us, Campbell A. Campbell. <laughs> Oh, nay, I don't like that. Um, <laughs> hi. And once again, joining us, uh, our regular podcast collaborator, back in the saddle this week, <laughs> Kelly Powell. Hello. <laughs> and making his pod debut, a man who has written for Little White Lies, Vague Visages, and hey, you guys, it's Alistair Neyman. Sorry, <laughs> Alistair Bayman. It's okay, I'll get off my high horse seeing as it's my debut. <laughs> Those took years off my life. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for indulging me with that, everyone. <laughs> and thank you for having a really good name for a horse pump. No problem. <laughs> just, just thank my ancestors. It's okay. <laughs> uh, so, Lean on Pete is based on the novel by Willie Vlotin, uh, who co-adapts the screenplay. It's Andrew Haig's fourth feature film, following the success of Greek Pete Weekend and 45 Years, his first adaptation and his first film outside the UK. Uh, are we all Andrew Haig fans in the room? Big. Time. Uh, this is actually the first one I've watched. <gasps> Shame. <laughs> no, so much, so much to look forward to. Yeah, I know. So, yeah, yeah, so much sadness. Yeah. Um, so much sadness in that pain. Forty-five years had the kind of un- has the unfortunate privilege of being in my Netflix queue, and uh, things typically don't go there. It's like purgatory for my <laughs> <laughs> So um, that's one thing, and then um, it's just one of those things I've just never got around to. So I thought I'd start with. This one. And it's a good one to start with, yeah. I think. Yeah. I f- all of his films are heartbreaking, uh, very subtly directed musings on how horrible humanity is, <laughs> then I'm all in. Well, I think there's, I think there's hope. There's elements yeah, of hope there's a in there. Bit. More so in Weekend. So this film premiered at the Venice Film Festival last year, where Charlie Plummer won the 
Marcello Mastriani Award for Young Actor and Actress. And since then, he's been seen in Ridley Scott's All the Money in the World, and I spoke to him at last year's London Film Festival in October. We're delighted to be joined by star of Lean on Pete, Charlie Plummer. <laughs> How you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks I'm for good. joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, uh, can you tell us a bit about who you play in Lean on Pete? A bit about Charlie. I play a character also named Charlie, um, who moves to the small town, um, our small area of Portland, Oregon, and um, with his single father mm-hmm. he's moved around for most of his life and he moves there you know hoping to start anew and and hopefully set some roots um, in this new location and he does a little bit when he gets a job at this horse racing track and befriends this one horse yeah. and then what follows are a series of pretty tragic upsetting yeah. events uh, throughout the course of this young guy's life okay and what kind of person did you get from the script that Charlie was? I got that he was a compassionate person, that he was one who was unbelievably strong, especially in the face of, of extreme adversity, and um, one who is quite isolated and alone a lot of the time and, and really seeking for a home and seeking yeah. for a family that he loves and can trust. Sure, okay. So, I didn't know this, but the film is based on a book that I wasn't familiar with at all. Um, were you familiar with the book, and have you read the book since at all? Um, I was not familiar with the book, and yes, I have read the book. That okay. would be pretty funny if I was like, no, yeah. I didn't even bother. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I definitely read the book, and, um, and I hadn't been familiar with it before, but as soon as I read the screenplay mm. and then found out I'd be doing it, I mean, even after I read the screenplay, I ordered the book okay. before I even found out I got the part or anything. And then I happened to get the part before I got the book right, okay. to my house. So that was just good timing, I guess. <laughs> um, so after I got the part, then of course I immediately started yeah. reading it. And it was really helpful in terms of just... Because a lot of the character, a lot of the story for the character is pretty mm. internalized. And so getting to kind of hear what is going on inside his yeah. head. And it was just really helpful and okay. I think helped my performance a lot. So apart from the book, what other kind of um, preparation did you do? What kind of research did you do to get into character? I, uh, I spent about three weeks before we started filming um, in Portland, and I was working with the horse every day and the yeah. trainers that work with him. And, um, you know, I, while we were filming, I would talk to a lot of people who grew, you know, who spent, have spent their lives in that environment and the, the racetrack kind of yeah. world. and. Um, and then, you know, the, the rest of it was really, my, my prep really just came from having conversations with Andrew and, um, you know, not to talking too much, but there wasn't any rehearsal period. There wasn't any, you know, uh, real adventures that we took before filming mm-hmm. that would help us get in the character more. It was really just, you know, start working. And I think we quickly fell into a rhythm with the sure. story and the character and, and that the rest of it was really just for the cameras yeah so you mentioned there the horse of course um what was it like filming with the horses and had you had any experience with horses before i had not had any experience with horses before and um it was really wonderful working with the horses i i I loved especially the main horse who Mm. plays pete this this horse named starsky um he's just a he was a great guy he was really sweet and and kind and um 
so smart. I mean, horses in general are very smart animals, but especially Starsky. Emotionally, he was really intelligent yeah. and, and could pick up on what people were feeling and whether you were confident, whether you were nervous, and he would reflect that in a lot of ways. So um, it was a great experience for me, you know, as a human being. It was very fulfilling yeah. to get to work with a horse, and it was a great experience. But also as an actor, I think, you know, having your scene partner be someone who demanded you to be honest in every moment yeah. is really cool. Sure. Okay. So you mentioned, did you film all on location then in, in Portland? Um, not entirely. Oh, no. I'm trying to think. We almost, yeah, sorry. Okay. We did shoot entirely on location. Um, I was trying to think if I got that mixed up. <laughs> but, um, but no, we did shoot entirely on location, which I think also really helped the yeah. film. Um, I think as soon as you, and especially with Angie's films, you know, you sit a lot, just you, just the audience, and maybe yeah. one or two characters, and you're really just sitting with them. And so a lot of the time, you're taking in everything about sure. that environment. And, and I think whether that comes from, you know, just the way the chair looks or the way your eyes look. Yeah. I mean, it's just so the audience is forced to pick up on everything. Totally. And, and I think that that really... Um, I love that about his films, and, and that was a quality that I really connected to. But I also really applaud you know, the production designer and the cinematographer, Magnus, and, and so many people who worked on the film because I think that they all play such a huge part in the storytelling yeah. for this film especially. Sure. And um, so I guess, like, like in the film, you have these people that just come and go very kind of quickly. So like Steve Buscemi and Chloe Svengi and then Steve Zahn, they sort yeah. of just come and go. What was it like on set having these big actors come in for a little bit and then go? Did you film it? Like in sequence, in order? So. Yeah, we pretty much did. Okay. Pretty much. Um, the only part that we didn't film in sequence was this section in Denver, which is with Steve Zahn's character. Right. Um, that was shot a little bit before uh, technically he would have been. Um, but I really, I felt so grateful to, and I do feel so grateful to Andrew that he allowed us to do that because I think yeah. especially for this film I think in any film it'll help no matter what but I think especially when you're following one character um, it's really really helpful to you know be uh, every step of the way on that journey yeah. and a lot of films don't have the ability to do that just right. based on production and, and the means of it but I thought Andrew he, I think he made a priority that that would happen and and I was so grateful that it did because you know especially when you are working with these people and they start to come and go and come and go and then eventually there's not anybody yeah. left you know it really does leave sure, you with yeah. such a feeling that I think the character is also okay. really feeling um, and what was Andrew like to work with uh, he was he was a dream man I mean honestly you know I, I wouldn't be lying about that I I, I loved working with him yeah. with it's interesting because a lot of his films can tend to be kind of bleak and honest yeah. and, in every way and, and difficult to watch but he is such a charming guy and he I, I just loved working with him he's such a sweet guy he really cares about what he does and he's such a smart person too yeah. and, and you know he was an, an assistant editor for a long time so also his background really you know makes it where he, he's a very he's very confident in what he wants right, and what yeah. he knows he needs and so much of the time you know he won't do a take more than he needs to and he won't do too many setups if he doesn't need them and yeah. I think as an actor that's the greatest yeah. thing to have in a director okay so this isn't your first film as a lead you've been in, in King Jack you were pretty much leading that but this really felt like you were not only in every scene but almost in every shot as yeah. well um, what is it like you know you're, you're it's still very early in your career I suppose what is it like having that kind of have, carrying the film as it were is it I mean, do you feel the pressure or is it kind of um, yeah I think you know especially with this story I, I love this story so much and I, 
I love the book and I love the script and I love the characters. So I felt, especially the central character, I loved、mm. so much. And so I did feel a responsibility to do right by that. And I also felt a responsibility to Andrew because I just love his films、yeah. so much. And I really wanted to do right by him as well. But I mean, I, I, you know, I put it, I, I really, whether it's, you know, the lead in the film or one scene, you know, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to do as、yeah. good of a job as possible. I think it's actually easier because. When you're in every moment of the film, you don't have a lot of time to think about the pressure and think about you、yeah. know, how big it could be. I, I, I think when you just are tasked with having to do it every moment, you know, it just becomes a part of your life.、Sure. And、yeah. so it never really feels like, you know, oh my God,、yeah. this is so crazy,、yeah. this is so much, or what if、yeah. I mess up? It's just、yeah. like you have to show up and right, do、okay. it, and that's it. And、uh, this is your, your second time. Appearing alongside Steve Buscemi in something.、Mm-hmm. When you were you know, younger on Boardwalk Empire, did he ever give you any advice or was he kind of. He's not、mentor? the advice giver, <laughs> you know, which, which I actually really think is great、yeah. because I think, I mean, I'm sure he has given me advice. And, and, and I mean, quite honestly, when I say he's not the advice giver, I don't mean that he's not a huge mentor for me or a huge h e r o because he is. I just mean that he's not the kind of guy who would sit you down and yeah, you know, yeah. have that kind of conversation. I think the greatest advice he could give is in the way that he treats other people and、right. the way that he is composed on set. And,、yeah. and, and so, for me, from a young age, getting to watch him just be so generous with his time and be so present with people and kind and as an actor and you know, just as a person in general,、mm. it was really inspiring because you know, being in that position where you know, it, you're in frustrating situations, you're in tough working environments,、yeah. you know, you're on locations that are really crazy. And tough, and to keep that composure and, and to really you know, keep in mind that you're just working with other human、mm. beings, and that's all. And he just is such a great example of someone who is so compassionate, and,、yeah. and I think that really reflects in his performances most、yeah. of the time. So,、um, so, of course, we mentioned it there Boardwalk Empire.、Um, what was it like to kind of grow up through the production of Boardwalk Empire? And have you, have you watched it since? Because I assume at the time you weren't you were no, awake to watch it. No, it's funny, I haven't really watched it, but it, that's only because I don't like to watch myself. And I yeah, also、sure. don't, I, I, I'm not a big TV guy.、Okay. So, you know, but it's funny because, you know, there's so many of my favorite actors who are on that、yeah. show. I think like Michael Shannon, Jack Houston being、yeah. on that show. Even like Patricia Arquette was at the end of the show.、Yeah. And, Um, obviously, Kelly McDonald, and clearly Steve, and I mean, the, the level, Michael Kuh, you know, you go on and、yeah. on. But、um, I, I mean, I felt really fortunate to have that be one of my first experiences with film,、right. being around、uh, on, on a set in which those actors were walking in and out, and, and、um, in which Terrence Winter was the guy、yeah. kind of driving it. And it, it, it's, it's, even if in the moment I wasn't taking all that in, you know,、yeah. I think in, in retrospect, I, it absolutely contributes to the stuff that I'm able to do now. And、um, I also just think, you know, that was a show in which almost everybody on that crew was just so kind and nice、mm. and really smart and cared about what they were doing. And, and, and I feel like that's been a pretty consistent point throughout my career、yeah. and the people that I've worked with. So, so I felt, you know, it, it is really cool that that、yeah. is a part of my career yeah, in、definitely. some way. So, I have to say, congratulations on winning the、uh, Marcello Mastriani Award. That's、I、right. Know, yeah, I've yeah, definitely yeah. butchered the pronunciation <laughs> no, there. No, no, you're kidding me. But congratulations.、Uh, so, you now you join a list of names that include Jennifer Lawrence, Mila Kunis, Ty Sheridan.、Um, does this feel like a really big precedent to the start of your career, winning this award? And does it feel like now you're, 
you're kind of, you're kind of being pushed forward per se <laughs> <laughs> no I mean it's a huge honor it really yeah. is and I think like you said to be mentioned with those names um, and also just to be mentioned with Marcello Mastroianni who's such a phenomenal actor and um, and a very important part of Italian um, film yeah. history and I would say world history film in general um, world cinema but I think you know I mean it, it is such an honor and at the same time yeah I, I think the, the best guidance I've ever gotten is you know to really ask yourself why you're doing yeah. it and why you're acting and and I, I would I would never ever say that I want to act because I want to win awards. Yeah, sure. And and because I, I mean, I'm not just saying that. That's really truthful. Yeah. And while it is a huge honor, and and especially historically being yeah. associated with those names, and really just the Venice Film Festival too. Yeah. So many. It's the oldest film festival in the world. So to have your name, I mean, it's such a cool thing. But it's never anything where I'd want my career to be defined by yeah. that kind of a thing. Okay. And, you know, it's never the kind of thing I would seek out. Sure. Um, but, Awesome. Charlie Plummer, thanks for your time. Thank you so much for having me. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, enough horsing around. <laughs> or fouling around. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Let's kick things off then with, with Charlie Plummer. So what do we make of him in this, which is very much his you know, star-making performance for him? He's very vulnerable, and I kind of just wanted to protect him in his little cherub face. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, he gives this really kind of quietly heartbreaking performance, and you can kind of tell that there's a lot of stuff simmering when he's kind of got this lovely, quiet politeness, kind of masks this kind of pride and inability to kind of just give himself over to people and it's really heartbreaking to see him make all of these wrong decisions and I think he carries it really really well this is kind of quiet suffering yeah he kind of comes out a lot in his interactions with Pete more so than any mm. other human being I think and um, like the asides he kind of gives in the desert a truly heartbreaking where he's just talking about he just he just went around to his mate's house had some like Gatorade and just like had a really cool time you know and that's all he wants from life he just wants a home and stability mm. but Life has played him a cruel card and he just can't, a cruel hand, sorry, and he just can't, he can't get it. Yeah, I think it's more about that than, I guess, his his wrong choices. I think he's just doing his best, you know, to like sort of get through this world that has sort of let him fall through the cracks. And yeah, and I think the pride thing is also something that I 
thought was particularly heartbreaking because he uh, talks about the fact that like he'd rather them think that he's okay than mm. have to see him the way that he's living at the moment, which is so sad. Yeah, so heart- this movie broke me. <laughs> broke me. I think I was more, the most I was into it was in the first third when it was kind of setting up these circumstances when it wasn't because um, it kind of shifts later on into this overwhelmingly heartbreaking mode or like kind of teeters on the edge of that. But in this first act, well, all of it's strong, but in this first act, I thought it was particularly amazing where it was just him getting by and you can see all of these remnants of like his past life from when he's been moving around with his father. There's things like his quote-unquote career mm. as an athlete and you just see all of these symbols that he's just clinging on to as best he can and all of this scraping by is what started affecting me the most because it's a very unvarnished portrayal of this kind of living and there's so much detail in all of that that it feels very real whereas it moves into this more emblematic mm. mode when it turns into this odyssey across the west yeah kind of thing uh, which is also good, but for very different reasons. Sure. I just think that um, a lot of Plummer's best work comes in that first third because mm. uh, you see a lot of the attitude that we see more overtly later on just kind of simmering under the surface mm. in that first bit, which I thought was re- he's really incredible. Mm. Yeah, and you mentioned there the fact that they're on this odyssey through the West. Um, so what do we think of this film in terms of it being a, a sort of modern Western or a neo-Western it's kind of peculiar thinking that, like, what else is out in cinemas at the moment? Um, Variska Grishpark, mm-hmm. is that correct? A Western that's more so kind of very um, self-referential in its kind of yeah. tropes of cowboys and stuff like that, whereas this is kind of, it's like an off-kilter. It kind of develops into a Western when it gets into the middle section of the film. Yeah. But then kind of outside of that, it does go into, like, social realism and stuff like that. So it's kind of, I think Haig and, obviously, um, the original novelist is aware of them tropes, but... I don't think it kind of seeks to be a true West and no. it just kind of happens. Charlie stumbles into the desert with Pete and, and yeah, like some beautiful cinematography unfolds. Well, also an interesting point that I that I listened to him speak about on, an, on another podcast, Andrew Haig, is that it's almost like a revert, like, you know, sort of this idea of people moving West towards freedom, you know, the, the last front, frontier, the American mm. sort of myth. Um, the story sort of a reverse of that. So he's moving from west to east, and he's not particularly looking for freedom, but he's looking for stability and sort of security that, you know, he's so desperately in need of. In, ter- uh, in terms of it being a Western, I just found, especially considering the social realist aspect, I just find it really interesting that a lot of directors that kind of self-reflexively use this genre come from outside the US, especially yeah. with, um, well... Western, yeah. <laughs> uh, being in the cinemas, Lean on Pete, yeah. uh, things like Andrea Arnold's American Honey, mm-hmm. and oh, that was the one I was thinking of, Hell of High Water as of well. Course, Even though it's yeah. more action-packed, it's definitely yeah. more the unseen side of America, mm. like wide open frontier stuff mm. and how people kind of scrape by mm. in that uh, region. It's just It seems that a lot of these people are more interested in approaching this genre Without the unseen, it represents the kind of unseen demographics rather than it being a dusty action movie yeah, or something. Yeah, definitely. Even um, Sweet Country that came out. A few yeah, yeah, the ago, Australian that, one. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, that very much has this kind of the director Warwick Thornton obviously knows that he's using Western imagery, but is doing something totally different with that. Even going back to like Sergio Leone, he's kind of 
those spaghetti westerns are almost deconstructing the kind mm-hmm. of the John Ford. Yeah, they, John yeah, Wayne. they really humanize all yeah. the characters. Kind of like even seeing um, like a fistful of dollars a few weeks ago. I was kind of yeah. surprised at how deep it goes into the characters rather than it just being these gunslinging, yeah, cool looking dudes. What I found really important about the film is that Charlie never rides Pete. Yeah, he never I, gets on the horse because the, I mean the horse is kind of yeah you said earlier that the West is this kind of this metaphor for freedom mm. and I think the horses as well mm. the, you know this sort of dream that you just get on your horse and ride into the sunset mm. um, and this doesn't happen here and it feels like Charlie can't ride Pete it just feels like that would be really against everything the film is saying seemingly against Charlie's philosophy as well because yeah. the reason he frees Pete is because he doesn't view him as just a tool. He's, um, well, he's kind of a, cr- well, he kind of is an emotional tool. He's a crutch for yeah. this bo- poor boy. But um, it seems that uh, riding him would just be this kind of violation of this, well, <laughs> I say unspoken because one can't speak because it's a horse. <laughs> um, but this unspoken pact yeah. between the two of them, it seems like it would be a violation of that. Yeah. And it kind of ties in with this dis- deconstruction of the myth of mm. like the Western, especially like you said, with it being a symbol of freedom to ride to the new frontier. Yeah. Mm. Um, but this boy walks slowly across the frontier, which is shown to be desolate and yeah. uh, horrible. <laughs> Well, yeah. not horrible, but, you know, people are lost in it. And I think Charlie sort of also is sort of trying to be that, like, look after the horse in a way that he isn't looked being looked after. Yes. You know, yeah. this sort of, like, tenderness and mm. caring and, you know, he's treating him with, you know, how he would like to be treated in the world and sort of riding him, I think, would be problematic. <laughs> <laughs> That's how he's seeing it, you know. It's, yeah, it's, um, I mean, they're both runners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It just seems that he he invests so much of himself, he projects so much of himself onto it that, I don't know, I guess he kind of tries to rescue it in a sense that mm. uh, it's kind of wish fulfillment for himself, like mm. seeing as someone might just like take him away from this fate, or, you know, bad hand that he's been dealt. I don't know where I was leading with that. <laughs> I also um, heard Andrew Haig describe Charlie as a skittish horse himself, you know, the sort of like wide-eyed sort of <laughs> kid who's just sort of going rolling with the punches and um, trying to, I don't know, make sense of his surroundings. I think we're projecting onto the horse now. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> and the horse is less about escape for Charlie, maybe as he needs this, um, he needs just something to care for, I think. And he needs to have this burden to care for the horse because he'd be much more successful in his escape without the horse and his escape from his life and moving on. But the horse is... He needs the horse to be, yeah, like you say, like a crutch to cling onto. He needs this burden oh, yeah. to look after the horse. It's it's kind of... Um, it's like him hanging on to just the very last thing yeah. that mm. he has. Um, just c- clinging to whatever he has to kind of say that he's fine. Like, yeah. I'm fine. I've got the horse. <laughs> um, and, and it did remind me of... Um, <clears throat> of bicycle thieves in that mm-hmm. kind of sense so they're kind of the man and his son like desperately looking mm-hmm. for like kind of the tool of his trade the bicycle when really he, if you kind of think about it, if he spent as much time maybe just finding a new one yeah he'd be slightly better off by the end but it's more about how one it's uh just kind of everything he has he's so desperately clinging on to mm-hmm. it just this one possession like the thing that's his and then it also turns into a thing about the poor being pitted against one another but mm. Yeah, I mean, it's an emotional crunch. <laughs> yeah, I think you've hit on something there with... I, I just... I, like, thinking of Bicycle Thieves, I just can't get that scene out of my head where the dad sees the bike and he goes to steal it. 
and then you've kind of got this little boy just like there's a similar scene in Lean on Pete which just evokes such a pure emotion mm. and just kind of um, yeah it's, it's, it's shell shocking but also kind of deeply humane the way they both depict the characters and then that interaction in Lean on Pete when a big scene happens you know it's kind mm. of it just completely blows your mind in the most saddest way um, so let's you, you mentioned before we were recording Cam about uh, Free Willy <laughs> um, childhood favourite yeah. but let's talk a bit about the fact the animal in the film and animals in film in general and what this does differently with that that sort of relationship between not just human and animal but also like young disillusioned child and animal I mean, I wonder if it's uh, part of um, the fact that the animal can't talk back to them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. There's so there's so many movies where it's um, just a young person who has nothing and kind of projects everything onto an animal that's in a s similarly dire circumstance. But I guess most of those uh, are meant to are very mm. much meant to be tearjerkers and yeah. Um, really tragic things. And I guess uh, <laughs> with Free Willy, if I'm remembering it right, it's um. An orphan who um, is kind of being bounced from uh, house to house, and I guess he just wants to offer the orca the same kind of freedom <laughs> that he wishes for, instead of just being confined to yeah. this. Well, involuntarily confined to this new home, which actually isn't too bad. But um, <laughs> but I guess uh, the difference between something like Free Willy and Lean on Pete is that it's not so much about the connection between boy and animal as it is um, about the dependency on this one symbol but like basically just teetering over mm. this abyss of despair <laughs> um, uh, in the case of Lean on Pete <laughs> I can't believe I'm going deep on Free Willy right now um, dive in um, <laughs> because I guess uh, <laughs> uh, I guess with um, with that the boy is kind of this plucky um, rebellious child whereas um Charlie just wants to fit in, mm. um, and he just wants to, he wants the visage that he's fine, I guess. Oh my god! <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, it's also just about you know these these kids sort of articulating their own thought processes by like talking to the animal that can't talk back to them. It's almost them trying just trying to find out who they are and what they think, and you know, it's therapeutic. And yeah, and just <laughs> also yeah, just it's like you know searching for. An, an identity, I guess, and these animals sort of are a sounding board for mm. their coming of age stories, you know. Mm. Which makes Plummer's performance all the more heartbreaking because he's mm. so open with this mm. one thing, and you can see how much he's holding back the rest of the time. There's only like one other interaction like this in the film, like the ones he has with the horse, like a completely oh, yeah, honest yeah, yeah. Yeah. one. Yeah. There's only mm. one other one, and it completely and utterly destroyed me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think that kind of tear joking element doesn't really come through in the score by is it James Edward Barker. It's kind of quite soft and ambient and uh, it doesn't kind of overplay any emotion mm. whatsoever. And it's kind of, I, I was taken aback by how little it's used. I think there's like a, a sound of diegetic music where they're like going to the first racetrack, but then it kind of just flutters around. And it kind say, of... just floats above the film for a while. <laughs> um, it doesn't, I don't, I don't recall there being any non-diegetic sound until like something like halfway through um and it kind of, and just the score just comes in in a really yeah, lovely way yeah. and it's not in a it's not in a moment that that's obvious it just kind of comes in and it feels like it's always been there and it just kind of floats over mm. the a, a couple i think it's kind of it from one scene to another for a bit um 
it's not not really like a montage, but it stitches these mm. two things together in this really wonderful way, and mm. it doesn't overplay its hand or like steer the audience in any one direction. Mm. You just kind of it's very much it's very much since the film's so matter of fact, you just yeah. feel how you feel, I guess. And um, James Edward Baker, he um, he actually wrote a score for Weekend, but Andrew uh. Hay cut it completely and decided to go without a score. So Forty Five Years once again had no score. So this is his first film for a while that he's decided to go over score, which I think is an interesting decision. That's interesting. Mm. It's so strange because in, in just off memory, I thought there was a score in 45 years. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's because that film is so um, it's so compassionate towards its characters. And, and I'm thinking of that scene in particular with Charlotte Ramplin, where she discovers the... Um, the projection in of 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 uh, oh, Tom Corney's like <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Tom Corney's former lover uh, I, like that feels yeah. like that's got yeah. kind of a similar score to it but that's so so strange that that doesn't even have yeah. a to score. Uh, <laughs> I'm not spoiling spoil spoil anything. It's kind of in the synopsis. These on movies don't really MGB. have spoilers. I know, I know, I know. I was literally yeah. just about to say as well that I feel like it's because um, Haig is so invested in characters and talking mm. yeah um, and the reality of it. yeah yeah it's, it's more about them um portraying these feelings and it's 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 strange to see um a film like this where it's like a kind of subtle quiet film where there's so much um well, i don't know where there's just so much talking between characters you kind of expect it to just be this uh montage of charlie shuffling around like mm. um <laughs> charlie brown style <laughs> um, but uh no it's um it's 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 an interesting choice because he picked a, probably the most hyperverbal American actor I can think of in Steve Buscemi. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Steve Buscemi. Yeah. I think that the the score, as you said, stitches together these moments. But I think it's uh, it's it's a nice sort of idea because I I saw the film as sort of these vignettes of you know who Charlie interacts with throughout the film. You know, you get to see sort of the portrait of what kind of life is like for working class middle America, you know, um, and 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 the dissension into maybe a less less uh, known or, you know. Definitely like when um, when the Odyssey starts, yeah. Uh, when it's... Yeah. Um, it's when he, where he comes across these kind of... It's, it's interesting because he, at the beginning he kind of runs through... When he's running through that area, he runs through this kind of blue-collar working neighbourhood mm. and then he basically does... So that's just his lifestyle for the first act and then it turns into that but just yeah. more drawn out and prolonged when yeah it's, re- it's really interesting about how how like you said before how it portrays how easily people can go- just kind of slip through the cracks you can see um you can just as easily see people like the veterans falling mm. into yeah. a si- similar circumstances it was forgotten charlie sees later yeah. <laughs> and even that girl who encounters yeah uh, that's kind of a real like deep scene because she's just like oh it's quite easy to get stuck yeah and it's kind of not <laughs> silly to think that in an alternative universe where charlie has kind of a an evil dad or something mm. like that that this happens Could've to him been. you know mm. it's kind of even though it is very specific to charlie's interactions with the mm. horse it kind of feels it, it like this, yeah just slipping through the cracks could genuinely happen to anyone mm. I, d- I do like that he didn't have a Evil dad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I appreciated yeah. that he was um, yeah. well-meaning, but you could see how kind of careless he was, and he was mm. forever kind of teetering on the brink. And there's so many little things like he can't hold, he can't really seem to hold on to a job. Mm. Um, mm. He provokes people. Yeah, mm. um, he can't really cook. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Uh, he loved his son. He just didn't mm. know how to care for him. You know, mm. yeah. Which is a kind of similar dilemma the Florida Project brought up. 
Yeah, like yeah. Young mother who does love her daughter mm. and yeah. wants to be a good mum, but just can't just can't bring herself to do it the, mm. the best for the daughter to do it the right way. Mm. Uh, you so you've mentioned um, Steve Buscemi already, but there are a lot of kind of big actors that have very small roles in this film dotted around, which I really liked, and I think that's you know this is the biggest cast that Andrew Higgs have. It's interesting how he uses these big actors like Steve Buscemi, mm. like Chloe Svengi, like Steve Zahn. Uh, what do we think of those in it? Were they distracting at any point? Did they take you out of the film? Did they just fit right into this universe? I thought, um, if anyone, I thought Buscemi might be the one to take me out of it because he's got such a distinct persona, but I thought it fits yeah. in really well because he's normally this very irritable uh, yeah. character and they kind of twisted it. Not just, not Well, I guess he was kind of funny, but they... He's playing against the type, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's it's where, him as this very surly... Um, yeah. Cynical. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, what do you call him? Hand, uh, stable handler, yeah. kind of dude. I'm not really sure yeah. what is. He's just yeah, he's, he's, called. Called. Uh, he's yeah. a yeah. horse trainer, yeah. horse guy. Horse he's man. a dodgy horse guy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and he does say at one point that like you know, at one point he also liked horses, and you just get the sense that his life has beaten all the good, all the happiness out of him, you know, like, just to get by, just to sustain himself. I want a Dell prequel now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, funnily enough, Steve Buscemi's first short film was called What Happened to Pete? So, wow. <laughs> so who knows? Uh, uh-huh. But kind of going back to the performances, I think Chloe Sevigny as Bonnie, mm. um, similar to what you said with Dell and uh, how, how kind of a, a character is built within a line of dialogue. She's just, she's just yeah. talking to Charlie about how she worked at Red Lobster and she broke her back and stuff like that. And you kind of, you just get an awful, awful lot just simply from mm. them two talking to each other. Mm. Uh, yeah, I was kind of waiting for Buscemi to become this kind of father figure to Charlie the first time I saw the film. And I was like, well, no way, this yeah. isn't, this it's is not happening. Like the moment he kind of buys him like yeah. a, a grilled cheese and, mm. and curly mm. fries, I was like, yeah, this dude is just mude. not going to. It's know. so Super unsentimental. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. whole film really, is so yeah. unsentimental. I love that it throws out any kind of possible like romantic uh, mm. thing where, any, where something like Free Willy would go. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's not the Hollywood blockbuster <laughs> version of this film. At, yeah, like yeah. Every, at every opportunity, it just kind of, kind of it's still, it, it lets you think that, oh, uh, this is how it is in these movies where kids meet animals and it very much steers away from that, like with... Um, Dell's unsentimentality and uh, even Sevigny doesn't really uh, she she takes they all take pity on Charlie but they don't go out of their way um, when it comes to helping him and ne- neither does anyone else really it's like the um, you know just unsentimental version of whatever these movies <laughs> you can call whatever you can call these movies are mm. which is I thought a really a really great heartbreaking touch and Steve Zahn as well playing Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, I, I drugged up. Yeah, yeah, that was. Oh, Steve Zahn. Yeah, yeah. that was. Yeah. Is a really deep kind of sequence. I initially mm. thought the first time that that sequence didn't work because it kind of overextends right. what happens after uh, Lean on Pete and Charlie disappear, but it really works second time around because it kind of just gets you more into that world because it's kind of the first urban, true urban setting we get. You know, yeah. it's like cityscape and stuff like that. Like, I don't mm. particularly know where it is, but it's definitely not the blue-collar working-class environment. It's more a little bit, you know, there's definitely a Starbucks mm. on, the, yeah. on the on the corner yeah. block. So it kind of just mm. furthers and deepens this world, um, which... I think um, what you're saying, I was, I'm still in the kind of first viewing mode. In comparison to the rest of it, which is a very subdued film, I thought it was quite a lot. Um at the same time, I really enjoyed 
it's what well, not enjoyed. <laughs> uh, it's wrong, sadistic, wrong with you. Sadistic <laughs> enjoyment. Appreciate. Yes. Yeah. No. Um, uh, I really appreciated <laughs> its um, view of how these systems end up pitting people against mm. each other. Um, this kind of horrible scrabble to the top of not very That's much. Interesting. I didn't. So I didn't see it so much as like pitting them against each other, rather than like they're the kind of the consequence of this sort of way of life. That's kind of you know? that's kind of what I mean. Yeah. A consequence of the system. Yeah, like it exactly. Ends up, like, yeah. like in something like Florida Project, mm. it ends up, uh, it kind of pushes people into these corners mm. and then they kind of have to fight, they have to fight their way out of it. Yeah, or just fight to survive, I guess. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess, uh, and they're yeah. just kind of, yeah, forgotten about, and the system, you know, yeah, doesn't care about them. Yeah, as I don't think there's any, to, yeah. you know, there's not a cop car in, well, no, apart from the people who Charlie ends up talking to because of mm. one way or another, but yeah, there's a distinct kind of lack of any. Well, there's kind of, yeah, there's a, there's many times that he comes into co- contact with sort of institutionalized yeah, authority, yeah. and in all of those instances, it's kind of threatening. Mm. Well, not threatening, but you get the sense that like, even, you know, with a doctor or, you know, the the police that he kind of comes into contact with every now and then you you, you don't trust them or you you get the sense that they don't really care about him he's kind of just this problem that they fob him off onto mm, something yeah. else there's a know? sense there's no one looking out yeah, for anyone. yeah. i guess yeah. this is where the western stuff comes in like yeah in a world without law, without law. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so for sort of wrapping up then how do you think this sort of develops hake as a storyteller or you know how it um, kind of be seen against his other films, and as his career is progressing, I'm just kind of constantly in awe of how like dexterous he is as a director. Like you, you kind of think with Weekend, mm. you know, he even said it himself. He's going to be this gay director, you know, and then he yeah. just comes out with something like 45 years. That mm. I can't wait for you to see it. <laughs> I just, I just can't wait. Oh, so uh, lucky. But he's just so. Yeah, the, like the cliche of like, oh, the, the, it's an open road. Like you, you genuinely don't know what Haig's gonna do yeah. next. But it's it's kind of in the best possible sense. It's not like oh, I'm scared mm. for this guy. Like you just know oh, no, whatever he does. Yeah, yeah, whatever he does is just gonna bang. Literally, yeah. <laughs> he's got, yeah, he's, got he's got some. He's got some bangers. Yeah, <laughs> absolute bangers. bangers uh, I'm I'm excited to go through his filmography. Um, it, it's I think I can't really speak for Haig's kind of it expanding on his work but i think it's really interesting in the canon of um people moving to the west um, yeah and exploring that frontier as you know something is that being not all it's kind of said to be mm. uh, i think lean on pizza really great extension of that and i don't know it's no, nice to have a near realist film with steve buscemi in yeah <laughs> So uh, Lean on Pete, uh, which is out and is also available on Curzon Home Cinema as well, along with a film we discussed a few weeks ago, Let the Sunshine In, so do check those out. Uh, Andrew Haig's curated collection is also available on Curzon Home Cinema, so that includes Cleo for 5 to 7, Code Unknown, Morvan Callar, yes. Together, Unrelated, Climates, and of course, 45 Years. So now's your chance, Cam. Yes. No excuses. Everyone watch more than Cala too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Cleo, of course. For and yes. Of course. <laughs> if, like us, you are keen on Pete oh. uh, or not, do let us know by emailing podcast at curlson.com and we can read out your mini review on next week's show. And as ever, subscribe, leave review and comment. We're available on iTunes and Acast. And that's it for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. That's goodbye from Campbell Campbell. Goodbye. Goodbye from... 
pod debut, Alistair Bayman. Thank you. I'm going to go and hit the hay after. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be back. You'll be back. And goodbye from Kelly Powell. Goodbye. Got a horse pun in you? No. No. I've got 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 one here. Sorry. (laughs) I told you the movie broke me. That isn't that kind of a horse pun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Second, second, second time, it's like so, so much better because you know where it's going.